I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Skylar Samperton is a textile and interior designer based in Los Angeles, California, who's known for her warm, colorful, and lived-in interiors. Skylar's creative upbringing and dynamic parents continue to inform her design even today. Skylar Samperton, I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. Well, I am thrilled to be here, Laura. You know, I am a giant fan of yours. <laughs> Likewise. And I think we first met through Marina Rust and maybe Ramey and Max Calkins. That's right. Yeah. And then I, I heard about your fantastic shop when it was in Charlotte and I was always dying to get there. And so when you opened here in Brentwood, I was just beside myself. <laughs> well, I opened just for you. <laughs> it feels you, like it did. <laughs> will you tell the listeners where you're from? I grew up in Washington, D.C. Oh, nice. Cherry blossoms. <laughs> I know. And, and we lived in like prime cherry blossom neighborhood, too. I used to have a lemonade stand when I was <laughs> younger and just rake it in. How did y'all get there? Are you from that area? Both of my parents were actually from Washington, which is pretty wow. rare. And um, I've got two brothers that still live there. So I was really the only crazy one that headed west. I know this about you, that you had a very glamorous mother named Novella. Yes. Will you, tell, will you tell me more about her? I have a little girl named Fidelia, so I love a Novella. That's oh, such a I know. <laughs> That's so similar. That's crazy. My mom was, I think, as they would say these days, very extra. <laughs> uh, I never saw her outside her bedroom without makeup on. <laughs> and she was always dressed to you know perfection constantly on the, the best dress list along with Dita Blair and Evangeline Bruce but she had she had a different way of approaching fashion which was you know now that I look back on it pretty fascinating she wasn't like the Chanel suit type of person mm. she was much more individual and liked kind of the high low mix although she was a giant Halston fan and when I was young, we used to go visit this incredibly talented milliner mm -hmm. named Dr. Uh, Dr. John, named Mr. John. <laughs> um, and I wish we were visiting Dr. John, too. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but um, he designed the hats for Vivian Lee and Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow. And he had this atelier in New York, and I used to fly up there with my mom and sit with her when she would have these sessions with him. It was just the coolest thing ever. I mean, his place was just gorgeous. And I remember he had these beautiful birds in cages, and it was just like ah. fantasy land there. And so he made my mom a lot of incredible hats. And she actually, my mom actually has a certificate that I have now. She was the winner of the Millinery Award from the, the <laughs> Millinery Institute. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so, so it was pretty official. She taught me really how to appreciate beauty and kind of all its applications. It wasn't just fashion, you know, it was very much interior design related as well. My father was an architect, 
Right. So I, I grew up around, you know, style was sort of our deal. And I know like a lot of people would talk, you know, current events around the dining table, but we were sort of talking about my father's architecture projects or, you know, a great window display that my mom had seen in Bergdorf's or that was sort of our, our topic. Well, I'm married to an architect also, so I get that. And it because it's not the way I grew up, <laughs> you know, around my table growing up, it was more about politics. And so I like that. So would your mom shop in D.C. or would you take the train up to New York? Well, in Washington, I would say her favorite store is a place called Saks Jandel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and she was actually on the board there, which, you know. Kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> made it feel, Aww. made the, the whole fashion thing have a little legitimacy. Um, it's like my mom's job, you know, she's on the board of Chantel. <laughs> but um, it kind of reminds me of Capital and that it was a really beautifully edited spot. She also loved Zorin. Oh, yeah. She would go visit him quite often. Um, but she likes, you know, simple shapes and, and not much pattern or color, which is kind of mm -hmm. where we differ. She had an amazing collection of all sorts of, you know, feathers and incredibly cool jewelry that, that wasn't priceless, but was, had a lot of impact. When she passed away, I, I got all of her things and it's really just so amazing to be able to pull from, from what she had because they don't really have things like that much anymore. So I've always been fascinated by creative families and how parents influence you guys inadvertently or overtly. Did you visit your dad's projects? Was there open like discussion about style and sort of what made great style or who had great style? No, my gosh. I don't think we talked about anything, but yeah, the weekends were spent visiting my dad's projects and a lot of shopping. I mean, you know, if I'm being honest, awful lot of shopping. Um, <laughs> For clothes and for, you know, home stuff. And uh, my mom would always point out relations between colors and shades and why a room worked or why it didn't and scale. I got an education every day, I would say, about something. And she always wanted me to do something different. You know, in, in my high school, everybody wore topsiders and had a blue down jacket. And so... <laughs> I was not allowed to have either of those things. And, <laughs> I love it. And I was, she just always kind of reinforced like, you know, march to your own drum sort of thing. And and she didn't look like any, any of the other mothers. You know, my mom would pick me up in some, you know, crazy scarf on her head and giant sunglasses. And <laughs> it was sort of like a, a joke in my, in my high school. Everybody thought she was a movie star. Because everybody else's mom was, you know, driving a Volvo and wearing like a tennis dress. And then my mom came in. Here like, comes Novella. You know, yes, here comes Novella. She's <laughs> definitely, I have to say, I, I have two kind of funny stories about her. I may or may not have sprinkled some of her ashes on the second floor of Bergdorf's. <laughs> her favorite place. Oh, I love that. And when I sent her photo into the Washington Post um, for her obituary, there was a photo of her that she had wearing um, full-length leopard coat. It was mm. faux, but it was fabulous with this giant stand-up collar, sort of like picture a kind of Cruella de Vil yeah. collar situation. Yep. And she loved that picture of herself. And so when time came for me to submit something, I, 
I sent that into the paper. And when they fact-checked me, the lady from the department called, and you know she was very somber, kind of going going through all the, the nuts and bolts <laughs> of it. And she said, she said, I just want to say, you. I saw that picture, and I said, you go, girl, <laughs> you go, diva. And all I could think about was, that's like my mom would have loved that because everywhere she went you know i was constantly listening to people give her compliments and i i wouldn't say she was like a classic beauty but boy did she make an impact i mean she really always looked fantastic and people that have met her never forget her so i, I was love it. very lucky to grow up around all of that and she was very supportive of kind of leading me and guiding me in those areas speaking of that i mean how early on did you know that you wanted to go into interiors? I've always loved interior design, and I, I used to pretend I was an interior designer when I was little <laughs> with my dad's samples. He had all these great null fabric swatches, and <laughs> I had like my own little stash, and I would pretend I was a designer. But I came to it pretty late in my career, and I just sort of stumbled on it by mistake. When I graduated from college, I worked in New York for a couple record companies because um, I've always adored music and I, I really thought that was going to be my path and then I suddenly got a job offer uh, to work for Fox out here in LA as a publicist for the network so I came out here and I did that for quite a long time. And did you like LA from the beginning? I, you know I, when I first got here I felt like I was just on vacation all the time it took me a while <laughs> to kind of get used to it because it was so different from living in New York and in yeah. Washington yeah, LA is an, an odd spot. I, I have kind of a love-hate thing with it, but <laughs> no, it's it's definitely given me a, a lovely career that I'm very grateful for. But I actually switched over just kind of coincidentally. I, I met Michael Smith mm -hmm. at a party who was a designer that I'd always loved and admired, and we became friends, and then he offered me a job. So I started with him. And doing what? publicity for him, which was the easiest job in the world because everybody wanted his project. So that was fantastic. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks after I started, one of the girls left to have a baby and I just inherited her projects. And so all of a sudden I was working as a designer for him. And um, I stayed for about four and a half years until I left to start my own firm. Yeah, it was just kind of like an, an odd detour that really changed my life. Yeah. And did you ever go back and get a degree in it or? No. Completely self-taught. I love that. Completely self-taught. I mean, thanks to Michael Smith. I mean, I learned so much working for him. It was, you know, our projects were a total, you know, top-notch situation. So I got huh. the best education I could have ever hoped for there. That's amazing. Another thing mm -hmm. that I want to talk about before we go too far into the design is something that you talked about in the pre-interview, something um, about a challenging moment that I think happened around this time in your life. Yeah, so... So I, I grew up one way, um, you know, with this glamorous mom and glamorous lifestyle and pretty much, you know, didn't worry about anything and, you know, went on lovely trips and went to a lovely school and all of that. And um, I just sort of assumed that that would be my path and that things would only get better and better. But my family had sort of an unexpected reversal of fortune, shall we say, I was really forced to kind of figure things out on my own. I'd always worked um, since I got out of college, 
but I had some extra support from my family until this kind of happened and it was like the rug got pulled out from under me and so I sort of had to figure out how to make things work on my own and um it was a big it was a very eye-opening experience in a, in a lot of ways you know it was incredibly challenging and difficult but I learned so much and it really made me the person that I am today isn't that the biggest gift of all to, to, to learn and to, to realize that you can take care of yourself? I, I talk to my team about that all the time, you know? Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I, you know, honestly, I, I don't know too many people that have been in that situation where they had to kind of, you know, rethink everything and it, and it doesn't just affect your finances, you know, it affects your relationships with with friends and family and all sorts of things. And how long did it take for you to realize that it was a gift rather than? Well, I don't know. I was so busy trying to figure things out for a few years. I don't know. It took me, took me kind of a long time because, you know, it was, it was challenging. I just, you know, I, I lived in a house that I sold and I gave the, the profit back to my dad. I told you that I used to work for a couple of record companies and I had this insane record collection and there was actually a point where I had to go to Amoeba Records and sell them so I had enough money to go to the grocery store. I mean, it was pretty gruesome for a while, but I figured it out. We were discussing an article in the New York Times earlier this week about role models for girls. And what's really important is that women start sharing the tougher moments and how they moved through them. And it, it really does make me grateful that you shared yours. Do you feel like you were you were more able to face challenges after you went through your, as you say, reversal of fortune? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yes. Going through something like that, no matter what it is, I think really um, teaches you about yourself and nothing seems like too much right now. I mean, I'm, of course, you know, I go through things like everybody does and some are easier than others, but, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I know that I can kind of weather the storm. Yeah. And with facing challenges in that area so early, I guess, in your career, do you, what is your relationship like with finances today? That's an interesting question. I'm super careful. I make sure that I'm I'm not doing anything that's too crazy or over the top because I don't have a safety net. I am my safety net. Mm -hmm. Like Cher said, I am a rich man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I just know you know I I've got uh, I've got nothing to fall back on except for myself. I make sure that. Uh, that I've got it all together. There's no, you know, I'm not going out and buying a boat anytime soon. Let's that <laughs> you know, growing up in the South and a lot of the women that I work with are in the South. And I think that I hate to blame it on the South, but they don't do a great job really raising women to, to believe in themselves in that area. I guess I, I mentor women a lot about being in charge of their own lives and their finances. And I mean, I always tell, you know, the women I work with, look, men cheat, men die, men have affairs, you know, there's going to be probably, you, you can't count on a guy. I mean, there's going to be a moment where you're going to have to figure it out on your own. And so always remember that. I mean, it sounds antiquated, but you know, it's true. <laughs> well, that's interesting, you know, because my, my parents met when they were 14 and 16. Wow. They were married at 18 and 20. My parents between them had $27. 
My father <laughs> went to the war for three years, so they didn't see each other at all. He was in Europe and came back and um, built a business. Yes. And my mom never worked, despite the fact that she was incredibly talented. She just, you know, raised the three of us, but always told me that I could be anything I wanted to be. That was like the big quote. Yeah. In our house, like you can be anything you want to be. Yet she lived a very different life. Mm -hmm. Somehow, I guess I I believed that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, you know, despite the fact that I grew up in a very kind of traditional household in terms of the gender roles, you know, I was always supported by my my parents in any kind of job that I wanted to pursue. And you know, I was always raised to kind of do the best. And it, it was never considered just a hobby until I got married and was taken care of. You know, it was, right. it was always something that I wanted to do to the best of my ability. And I guess that just kind of stuck with me. But I, I think still in the South, even, I mean, I don't think, I don't think girls are raised to, to know about finances or to know what it takes to make enough money to pay for insurance and I mean, all of the things. I don't think it's just the South. I mean, I really? know. Really? Oh, no, no. I know plenty of girls all over the country that are kind of <laughs> in that same situation. Well. It's good to know. You have to know. Yeah, you have to know. Knowledge is power. I, I love that right very soon after this, you started your own business. Can you talk to me about that? So after I worked for Michael, I left with another girl that had been there and we started our own firm and we were together for about four years and then she got married and had a baby. And so I've had it on my own since 2007. And um, I, I kind of um, just jumped into it. And I, and I guess I, I had the confidence that it would work. It sort of never occurred to me that it wouldn't, which was probably naive, but I'm glad that I had that um, point of view or I probably wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Well, and also the, th the fact that you started it in 2007, which was a was a boom time right before a bust time. Yeah. <laughs> so I always, I love when people say they started businesses in 2007, like 2008. Cause I'm like, well, I mean, you can only go up from there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and can you tell me how it's evolved in the nearly 20 years, 15, 20 years that it's been in business? I know. Isn't that crazy? I can't believe it's been years. I was just saying that the other day. That's <laughs> A lot of my projects are word of mouth, which I love because it sort of feels like, you know, we're, we're kind of expanding our family and I, I have a lot of repeat projects with clients. Mm -hmm. I was just somewhere and, and her son is going to be like a senior in high school. And I remember when he was born. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of fun to, you know, see families evolve over the years. And it's, it's fun to still be alive. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's that too. Yeah. <laughs> I, as somebody was saying, you know, oh, you, you know, your business is is so successful. I'm like, I, I all I can say is my business is still in business. I mean, yeah, I think no that's kidding. successful. <laughs> I know. Well, when this whole pandemic thing happened, like, I honestly, I, you know, I, I didn't know if we were ever going to sell another yard of fabric. Yeah. So I had these grand plans of how I was going to, you know, read every one of my old world of interiors and like, you know, organize my closet. And I just, I haven't done one thing because, you know, <laughs> thankfully we've been, you've been um, so busy, I bet. Yeah, we have. Our industry was um, very blessed. I could have never imagined that that's what would have happened in the pandemic, that architects and designers and I mean that the home, garden designers I mean you can't you can't book a garden designer oh I know <laughs> yeah 
We're so grateful. Well, and you've had such incredible projects along the way. Is there is there a favorite? I love your your house for Carolyn Murphy, but you tell me what you loved. Oh yeah, I love that too. I've worked with her on a couple projects, and she has amazing style herself, and so that's always a fun collaboration. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to say my favorite projects are the ones where I feel super in sync with the client, and yeah. you know they're adventurous and we kind of have like a, we're just simpatico and, and they get what I'm envisioning and they kind of, you know, let go of the reins and let me do my thing. What about when you're not in sync? How do you handle that? Well, that's more challenging. I mean, ultimately I think that the houses that I design are for the people that live there. They're not for me. And as much as I'd like to force my opinion on everyone, um, at the end of the day, I don't think that works well. I've been told by some clients that they've actually decided not to work with designers who kind of approach the the project as a my way or the highway. And mm -hmm. so I try to be collaborative and find a solution that works for for both of us. And you know, I I never want anything to be unpleasant. So I just feel like, you know, you can always find common ground if you if you try hard enough. So many people listen to this podcast that are you know, wanting to understand how to what path to take to to be a, an interior designer or a, or a clothing designer. And so I think it helps to sort of hear other people's experiences and, and how they how they got there. Well, I would say to, you know, I, I didn't want to just work for any interior designer. I wanted to work for Michael Smith. And so, um, <laughs> you know, when, when that opportunity happened, I actually um, had wanted to work for him before I met him as a friend. Yeah. And so it was just- completely... You manifested it. I did. Oh. <laughs> Can I tell you a funny story? Yes. So the night that I met him, this is actually one of my favorite stories ever. So I, this was in the in the uh, challenging phase of my life, okay? <laughs> I had a friend who was working for someone who was throwing a party on behalf of someone that was throwing a party for Viscount Lindley. Right. And at the very last minute, she said, I was able to get you on the guest list. So you can imagine, you know, it's not like I could run out and buy something fantastic. Well, I was just going to say, what did you wear? You have to tell me that. Oh, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> so, of course, I, I called my mom and she said, I have a beautiful ice blue Mongolian lamb Valentino bow. Oh, my Lord. And then I went to Gregory Parkinson. Who yes, was, he's my buddy. Um, I know you know him. So, <laughs> and he dyed a jersey dress, just sort of like a really simple column, um, same color as the boa. Cool. And my mom also sent me this wild necklace that came from Bendel's or Artware or something that was kind of three-dimensional. <laughs> ombre beads and it was a choker but it was made out of kind of pointy triangles they didn't lie flat they were like you know they kind of projected out from your neck yeah I mean, it's wild i still have it and <laughs> so i went to this party i was so excited and i and i get there and everyone else all the other women were were wearing like armani business suits <laughs> and i i was so like I was so out of place and we were going through the receiving line and I met the, the hostess and she said, oh, darling, you and I are the most glamorous women here. And I was just <laughs> thinking like, oh, if you only knew, I'm like a full on imposter. Like, first of all, I was like a party crasher. 
and you know I'm I love it raving by I love it that's kind of where I met Michael Smith but I was surrounded it was Blaine Trump Betsy Bloomingdale <laughs> very glamorous crowd and I was kind of like Bella the ball because of that boa and yeah hilarious I actually had my seat moved to sit next to Viscount Lindley oh my gosh so I was moved up to the um the, the main table, and I sat between Viscount Lindley and Oliver Stone, and it was Herb Ritz and Betsy Bloomingdale and Steven Seagal. And it was like, you know, somebody, I had a fairy godmother or something that night, and that's- Novella. <laughs> yes, she she definitely hooked me up. I mean, I'm not joking. That that night changed my life, and um, and it's because of that, that Valentino boa. That's fabulous. You, you can knock it, but I think the thing is, is they, they really communicate- Close who you are and where you've been and you know what you believe in and it's, it's this whole this whole language that before you say a word absolutely 100 percent. you also love antique textiles is that sort of where you started with your inspiration for your textile collection and where you yes um i've always collected like weird little fragments of things and they could be you know French chintz or Japanese or Native American. If I see something I like, I I get it, and um, I, you know I find something to do with it or not. It just you know can sit on a shelf. But it's always um, it's always been sort of my point of inspiration for the the textile collection. I was an art history major, mm -hmm. so I'm constantly looking at old paintings and you know, going through books and, and finding cool fragments. Um, I have, I haven't yet been to India. I hope to be able to go one day. So, so far, everything that I'm, I'm drawing on have just been things that I've, I've stumbled across through odd sources. My brother, Kyle, literally sends me probably, I don't know, 20 things from Instagram that he finds every day. My brother does too. That's so funny. Really? <laughs> Isn't it funny? You're like DM Instagram relationships. Oh yeah. I've got so many great ones. <laughs> I've met so many fantastic people and I've, and I've, I've really been able to get so many great things from these people that I've met. I've gotten uh, portraits of my dogs and oh, wow. watercolors yeah. and um, I met this amazing textile designer named Neil Goss. He lives in Asheville. Oh. And I've been able to commission him for several jobs. He makes incredible wall hangings, um, and he he does all uh, uses all natural dyes. I just love working with people like that, real artists, and yeah, you know, with interesting things that are unique for my projects. Was there a moment when you felt like you had made it, or that you knew that everything was going to be okay? Well, I think when you have your own business, you know, you're you're always kind of looking over your shoulder and and hoping that you know things will. Uh, continue on a good positive track and I mean I've never worked any less than I I have since the day I started this it's kind of a seven day a week job <laughs> I bet you kind of feel like this too when you're in anything creative I feel like your brain never turns off you're always yeah. seeing a, a color or a texture or a pattern mm -hmm. or uh, you know a shape that can influence your next project or something you're working on now what does success mean to you what does success look like you know, I'm just so, especially with the, the the textile division, I'm thrilled when I we get positive feedback. We just released a new wallpaper, and it just makes me so happy to hear all the, the nice comments that we're getting about it. And then, you know, I suppose in on the design side, you know, when you get some 
full tilt movie star client, you know, that's kind of exciting too. <laughs> well, that, I was going to ask, do you have a dream collaboration or a dream client? Oh gosh, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. I, I just love anybody that's like creative and kind and fun and loves taking some chances and just kind of enjoys the process. I, any, anybody like that. Um, you know who I love? creatively is Claire Crespo. Well, you know, we just did a podcast with her last week. Oh, she's, I just love her. She's my fave. I've never <laughs> met her in person. Oh, Skylar, um, you will love her. I would be very excited to do something with Claire because I think she's super cool. And I just love the environment that she created for the store for Irene's section. I just think it's oh. insane. I bring people in there from out of town to look at oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. And, and one thing that was not in the pre-interview and not in my notes, but something I know about you that I don't think a lot of people know is your love of dance. <laughs> <laughs> Will you talk about that a little bit? Because I was so blown away by your photos and um, you, you showing me sort of what you studied and all that. I, I'm very, very impressed. Oh, well, thank you. So I've always, I've always loved to dance. I'm like a full geek. I remember when I was little, <laughs> my, my parents would go leave the house and run an errand I would run downstairs to this room that was um just floor to ceiling mirrors and just <laughs> blast the the record player to some sort of like you know Liza Minnelli like I don't know I, I thought it was like a, I was meant to be a showgirl yes and so I guess I never got over that and for my birthday a couple of years ago my lovely boyfriend gave me lessons to learn the last number from the film version of Chicago with um, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Renee Zellweger. <laughs> and so I went every week and I learned that dang routine. And then my teacher <laughs> invited me to do it with her at the, at the dance studio's Christmas party. <laughs> and so I actually did it in front of a couple hundred people. And you crushed it. I oh, well, I don't know about crushing it. I slipped a couple times, but I've I gotta say, when I look at it, sometimes it makes me get teary-eyed because I can't believe that I actually did it. I was yeah. I was scared to death. And then when I when I did it, I was like, wow, that's like a, that's kind of a, a big achievement. It's a huge <laughs> achievement. Huge, I mean, it is it's like running a marathon, right? I, mean, uh, I think it's so cool. Yeah, but in but in front of people in a in you know <laughs> exactly. <a> <laughs> way more impressive oh, gosh. and I haven't stopped I still do it I love my teacher her name's Hydea and she was Miss North Carolina oh I need to meet her oh she's the best I just love her to bits and, um, <laughs> and so we we are just you know ticking off our numbers we're now learning cell block tango from Chicago <laughs> think always the most important part of the podcast I have to know what you wore to prom oh okay <laughs> I can still wear my prom dress because it was so fantastic Love. So first my mom went on the on the search for me and it was a sort of persimmon colored hand painted silk tank dress it had spaghetti straps mm -hmm. and sort of a shallow well, not not like a deep V, but you know, a, a, a V. An, a v. Dior, <laughs> a, a senior year in high school appropriate V. And but um, be, be careful what you what you say because an appropriate in high school now is not appropriate. Oh yeah, I know. I was gonna, I was gonna say, 
we'll go back several decades and right. <laughs> what an appropriate V-neck used to be then. And it was, because it was hand-painted, it had this really um, kind of watercolory look to it. Mm-hmm. And at the, it was, it had an asymmetrical hemline Ooh. and these little dangly bits at the bottom that looked like they had pulled the thread. So it had, it had like some movement to it. Cool. They were about six inches long, made out of the same fabric, but um, so it was all that kind of like kind of orangey red, really, it was so cool. And, and I, um, I would still wear it. How beautiful. And uh, accessories, anything that you remember? No, hair? No. Oh, my hair's not changed since you know, <laughs> 1973. Um, yeah, the exact same hair. The color has changed, however, in real life and not. Right. But yeah, style, pretty consistent. Yeah, I, I definitely have the same hair I have in high school. Nice, you know, center part. and You have great me. hair. Oh. Always have great hair. What a treat to be able to talk to you. I hope I can see you in person really soon. Oh, I do too, Laura. Thanks so much for having me. I want to see you and give you a big hug. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.